Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you very much for joining us today. Today, we are going to go to India to speak to a a very accomplished gentleman who is not only interested and involved in the WPP government public sector survey that we've spoken about a number of times on on this project, but has a distinguished career with the Bharti Foundation. But we'll come to Mr. Vijay Chatter in just a moment. But before we get to that interview, we start as we do each week with the definition of content communication as it relates to government and public sector. So content communication is a strategic, measurable and accountable business process that relies on the creation, curation and distribution of useful, relevant and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder reaction. So that's what we're talking about today with Mr. Vijay Chatter, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Bharti Foundation, which is the development arm of Bharti Enterprises, which is one of India's leading business groups with interests in telecom, agribusiness, financial services, retail, real estate, communication, and media devices. Mr. Chatter, through his experience, clear vision, and strategic thinking, has also been able to establish a successful and replicable model of public-private partnerships. The Satya Bharti School Program provides free quality education to over 42,000 children from marginalised communities in rural areas through its 254 schools, 249 primary and elementary, and five senior secondary schools across six Indian states. Under Mr. Chatter's leaderships, learnings and best practices of the Satya Bharti School Program have been taken to the government schools. He has guided the organisation to broaden its scope from running its own schools to engaging deeply with the government and mentoring government schools to enhance the quality of education through needs-based interventions. Mr. Chatter has over 40 years of professional experience in many different fields. He served in the Indian Army for 20 years. He was a graduate from the National Defence Academy in India and also served at the Canadian Forces Command and Staff College in Toronto, Canada. Mr. Chatter has completed his Master in Science in Defence Studies from the Madras University, and he has served on the board of significant travel and tourism associations and various national committees in the area of education, skill development, and corporate social responsibility. And he joins me this afternoon, all the way from New Delhi. Mr. Vijay Chatter, thanks very much for joining us in transition. Uh, Good afternoon, David. It's a great pleasure to be with you today. You've been busy. You've You've had a wonderful career. Yes, I mean it's uh, 45 years now, and and many facets to that. The armed forces, which I mean, uh, it's similar across the world, and then a corporate career spanning over 15 years, 
and then the transition into what I call the social and development sector. Now, we'll come to um, the WPP research program that you were involved in, but I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued and interested um, by someone like you. What, it, what has been the secret of your success? How have you been able to get people to follow you and to be able to accomplish and achieve things? Oh, that's a difficult question because I, 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 I really never believed that I was so successful. But I guess it's it's uh, it's a question of uh, my policies in life have been you know never compromise on your credibility, be transparent as a leader, you know, uh, never expect your team to do what you would not do yourself, and lead by example. They're very military sort of doctrines, aren't they? Absolutely. But I, I, I would believe, you know, uh, considering that my, my corporate and civil, you know, uh, career now is a little bit heavier than, than my military career, I would believe that uh, these are equally applicable in all walks of life. I mean, a leader must be seen to be someone that people can trust, people can believe in, and, uh, you know, uh, has credibility. So this this notion of trust is often thrown around, and you know people talk about it. But what does it what does it mean to you to be able to have someone to trust you? Well, I guess I would I would look at it the other way. I mean, uh, if I believe that I'm I'm the person that I am, and and my team trusts me, I would sleep well at night. I won't have sleepless nights. And that's going back to those principles of never compromising, being transparent, um, yes. being authentic, and and believing in people as well. Absolutely, yes. I mean, uh, trust trust is never a one way street. Trust is two ways. I mean, I can't expect people to trust me if I don't trust them. Yeah, that's also been you know uh, one of the things that I've always believed in. If I have a team, and if I work with them. I have complete trust in them. I mean, uh, until unless something crops up and, and I need to check on them, I would believe that, you know, I will have complete faith in my team. And how do you build that confidence that your team will do the right thing? How, how do you set them up for success? I guess that's, that's, that's many small things which come together. I, I mean, the, the clear thing is that uh, you must have a shared vision and a common goal. You know that you're working towards the same objective. You must have an agreement on the means that you will use to achieve that end. I guess then, then you start putting all the other things together depending on, 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 on what the task at hand is. And how do you maintain momentum when things aren't going well, when the difficult times arrive? Ah, yes, of course. I mean, that that is... Uh, always the challenging part in life and that is something that none of us can you know uh, go away from life is full of challenges and the issue is that you must be prepared for it you must know that you know challenges will come and if you carry on doing the right things and do things right you will overcome challenges i mean that's again you know uh, using going back to my army days when when i used to be in the commandos you say you know when the going gets tough the tough get going. But the military does invest a lot of time and effort, don't they, in terms of 
those basic principles and really pounding them into into people over many, many years through lots of repetition, lots of stress, lots of, um, you know, examples, lots of best practice. It's It takes time to build credibility and trust in teams. I guess the military is, an, you know, an organization where, you just come into a culture. Right? So it's it's not that too much of effort has to be put into you. It's just that you come into come into an institution, a culture where a lot of these things are taken for granted. Right? And obviously you keep learning over time, you uh, you know uh, mature over time, but you know when 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 I got my commission after my 4 years of uh, training in the National Defense Academy, I was all of 20 years old. And suddenly you land up and you're responsible for the lives of 50 people who you lead, right? And you are one of 20 officers in a battalion of, of 900 soldiers, right? And the responsibility is thrust on you and it's incumbent upon you to deliver. You have very little choice. I mean, you have to succeed. And it's interesting, isn't it? So often many business, uh, sorry, people who have had that training in the military go on to having very successful careers in business. Why is that? I, th- I think I think one, you know, like I said, the fundamentals of being being a, of leadership, the fundamentals of of managing a team. Of course, in the military, you lead a team, and and you. When, when you give a word of command, they're ready to die. You say, I mean, that's where you will be stationed and the person knows that that would mean that nine out of 10 times he may not come back alive or he would be shot up. He would still do it. But, and and on in Civi Street, it's a little different, but yet you're asking people to do things, not all of which may be something by which they would benefit. It may be for organization benefit. It might not be be for personal gain. So leadership traits, the requirements of uh, you know getting people to believe in you, to have faith in you, they remain the same. So if you transition that and bring that back to CV Street, of course you have to do a lot of unlearning and new learnings. You know you you just don't apply it like a template, but these remain as as uh, you know key traits within you. And if you can live by them, imbibe them, and make sure that your team also you know believes in them. So when you come out, there is a little bit of selling that you need to do. You know, in the military, we take a lot of things for granted. So, I mean, I don't, I don't have to really, I mean, I yeah. lead by example, but I don't have to tell my soldier that this is what is expected out of him. But, but when you come out to CV Street, then obviously you've got to engage with your team. You've got to share things with them. Each individual is different. You know, they're not all wearing the same uniform. They don't all come from the same background like our troops would come from the same region. You know, and would have the same culture and mindset by and large. So I guess these are the challenges that you've got to address. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And before we come to the the WPP research, and I and I do want to talk about that in a minute. But there's a couple of other things I'm interested in. Is you know the Bharti Foundation, which is part of you know the development arm of of Bharti Enterprises, and it seems to be a characteristic of many of these major Indian conglomerates that they have this. Um, it's almost like a social contract as part of the the right to 
engage in, you know, telecom, agribusiness, financial services, communication, media devices, as the Barty Foundation, uh, sorry, the Barty Enterprises does, that they do have this social obligation to 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 give back to the community. Is is that something peculiar to India that you've found? Uh, in a sense, yes, David, because you know, in in the Indian culture, you know, giving has been a way of life. You know, philanthropy, charity. You know, so it's been it's been an age-old tradition. So people have always been giving. May not necessarily be the right way. I mean, I'm not sure. I subscribe to people going to 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 temples or places of worship and donating money, right, and saying that we we are, we are giving offerings to God. But that's always been happening. Large industrial conglomerates like the Tatas and the Birlas, who are you know have a century-old tradition behind them. They have wherever they've set up, you know, business establishments. There is always a social content to that in terms of you know setting up a school or a hospital or doing something for the needy there. So so it's been part of culture. It's just that you know post 1991, after liberalisation happened in India, you know, and the globalisation started happening, you know, corporate structured processes systems came into being. You know you you started looking at things in a far more professional manner. Family-run businesses, you know, transition into becoming professionally run, you know, and then, you know, came these, you know, where earlier the, uh, you know, the social part would be done by the owners themselves, probably by the families. Today they felt that, you know, even philanthropy or doing social good needed to be run in a business-like manner. It needed to be accountable to the stakeholders the receivers the contributors the donors as well as the people involved in it hence hence the you know uh, formation of corporate foundations yeah and so the the investors the you know the the market invested pub, public market investors in india are quite happy for the investments that are made into these foundations because that seems a bit Certainly, I know in this part of the world that, you know, yes, okay, to, to a point, but these are quite substantial businesses that are developed that deliver the social good. Uh, absolutely, David. Actually, you know, since 2013, there's been a paradigm change in this. But even prior to that, you know, when, you know, when, when the uh, major stakeholders would spend money on philanthropy, the other, other shareholders or stakeholders would not look at it negatively. It was always viewed positively. But that was being done voluntarily. But the interesting part is, I'm not sure if you're aware that since 2013, a new Companies Act came into being in India, wherein for corporates of a certain size and scale and profitability, spending 2% of their net profit is is recommended but almost near mandated. Yeah, right. On corporate social responsibility. Okay. Right. So, so, so today, you are actually expected to spend that money, right? And and uh, so the issue of feeling bad doesn't arise because <laughs> it's, it's 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 almost part of legislation that you will you will spend that money. You know? So so while while no one is checking how much you spend, but you are supposed to report every year. You know. So there are guidelines clearly on on how that money will be spent, which are the projects and how they will be monitored, how every cop, uh, company's board will have a, a special you know, uh, board for CSR activities, how accountabilities will rest within the corporate 
in terms of the money spent, in terms of the monitoring, in terms of the choosing of projects. So, so all this has happened in the last three years. You know? Now, is, is this because the need is so great and the government doesn't have the resources to do these things? I guess uh, yes and no. Obviously, the government has resources. The, you know, the Indian economy has been doing well. The Indian government has resources. They spend a lot of money. But I guess it's more about how well the money is spent, David. Yeah. So the people in government believe that if corporates were to get on to do the same job, they would probably do it better than just government executing this. The impact would be greater, larger, and sustainability would be built into the process. Okay. So is there a, a favourable tax treatment to this money that's committed to um, corporate social responsibility? Unfortunately, not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, listen. This sort of moves us down towards this this path of um, or, or the, you know, the, this discussion around government communication and and your participation in the the global advisory board to the WPP um, research. Just as a sort of opening remark, how well does the Indian government communicate with citizens and stakeholders? David, you, you would understand even better than me that I would believe even, even in the most, most advanced countries of this world in terms of, you know, technology and communication and even, you know, the, uh, the democratic processes. In today's world, communication is probably the biggest challenge that everyone would be facing. You know, with the advent of social media platforms, the ability for individuals to engage express their opinion, form opinions, you know, get content. I think, you know, there has never been a greater need for clear, cohesive and reliable and credible communication from the government. The, the Indian government obviously is trying. India, unfortunately, is, is not one country. You know, we, we, we have many states. I think close to 40 states in India. We have, you know, hundreds of recognized languages. We have, I mean, it's, it's a large country geographically. It's a large country in the number of people, close to 1.4 billion people speaking different languages. Like, I mean, uh, if I don't know that language, I belong to the north of India. If I go to the south of India, if I go to, you know, states like Karnataka, Tamil Nadu, Kerala, Andhra Pradesh, they all speak different languages. Even the South Indian states probably may not fully understand each other's languages. You know, so that's that's the, you know, there's a linguistic divide. There's a geographical, you know, uh, extent. There is a huge cultural divide. You know, there, is, there are many religions which are practiced in India, irrespective of what people may read, what the media tries to project. I still believe... India is one of the most tolerant countries in the world. We, I mean, I have grown up imbibing and respecting all religions. Most of us are taught that in school. I mean, there are fundamentalists everywhere. But by and large, as a nation, you know, we, we respect every religion. We celebrate all festivals. Even in schools like ours, which are in villages, where very, very poor children come, I mean, we celebrate Islamic festivals, we celebrate Hindu festivals, we celebrate Sikh festivals, we celebrate Christmas and New Year, we have a holiday on Good Friday. So, 
so so we are a very diverse and and uh, and 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 a multicultural and a tolerant nation you know so don't believe everything that you read or hear you got to come and experience india for yourself and keeping that in mind so that's another challenge as to how you communicate with everyone and the most important thing is is the economic divide i mean you have some of the richest people in the world living in india and you have some of the poorest people in the world in india also and there are many tiers leading from the bottom to the top so the challenge for the government any government is huge because and for challenge for anyone to come and look at india is huge because you are probably dealing with you know something bigger than europe in terms of of uh, you know size and definitely much more in terms of diversity so we <laughs> I think I need to have sorry, I, 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 sorry, I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <My apologies. laughs> I think I think I'm gonna go and have a lie down. It's <laughs> where do you start? Where do you start with something like that? Obviously there are the you know the existing systems that have grown up over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. And obviously technology is having an impact, but the way information has moved around India um, to influence these particular groups, at, you know, in the different parts of the country, you know, they've grown up over time. So how is technology changing those established networks and systems that are in place? And what principles are being in place to perhaps take the, the goodness and the benefit of new technologies in order to strengthen these, these communities and improve the welfare of, of citizens? Great. Uh, David, you know, I'm uh, not sure if you're aware, but our Prime Minister has made a i mean has made a statement and it's carrying on now he's he's spoken of digital india he said that's his dream we had a demonetization in november of last year where you know the large currency notes became became uh, illegal tender and they all had to be surrendered uh, new notes came in but that was a switch to digitization encouragement of using you know uh, going digital in terms of cash transactions looking for a cashless economy so while that is happening we are looking at uh, digital in terms of communication also you know uh, government is looking at you know e tenders they are looking at you know making everything on the e platforms you know giving information availability today most of our you know where we would stand in queues to pay our electricity and you know telephone bills in the in the not so recent past today you know most of these payments are made online i mean uh, people are using you know digital cash when i say people i'm not talking of people like us the english speaking you know and the uh, english school educated indian elite but but i'm talking of the of the normal farmer or the normal daily wage earner in india they all have mobile phones right they all can access access digital you know they they have smartphones they they look at whatsapp some of a lot of them you know my own my own uh, you know driver and my you know we have this luxury in india we we still have chauffeurs we still have maids and you know my maids children you know it's it's not a bad thing they, are, they go to school they are smart they are on facebook you know yeah. so so that's that's how india is changing you know that's how india is changing and and the government is encouraging it i mean a lot of ministers and government are on twitter so that communication happening not always right you know i mean uh, twitter handles are, are very very active you know all all prominent politicians including our prime minister make great use of it 
Our prime minister speaks every month to the nation over radio. You know, there's something we had forgotten. Suddenly, it's become a great medium of communication. Yeah. So it's called Man Ki Baat. That is, he is, you know, what is in his mind, you know, and he speaks to, he's actually addressing the larger India, you know, uh, the rural India, the India that most, you know, when we, when we talk of India, most of us look at our India, the urban India. But 80% of India is still, still rural India, still the farmers of India, you know. So when you were you know, participating in, in this global um, research project around the state of uh, global communication, what sort of reflections did you have when you were looking at the state of government communication globally and what were some of the things that you were looking at that you thought perhaps this could be very useful for India? Well, I mean, I, I didn't get too much of an exposure to what, what others were saying. But I mean, as far as India is concerned, I do believe that, you know, one, one digitization. And secondly, secondly to, really, to really restore, I'm saying restore, mind it, I'm, I'm not even saying build up, the credibility of our media. Somehow or the other, in the last, you know, uh, half a decade or a decade or so, uh, you know, media in India has 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 gradually eroded its credibility. So, so a lot of people don't know what to believe. They believe that, you know, it's sensationalism more than, uh, you know, uh, accuracy in terms of reporting. They believe that sometimes the right news is not reported. You know, it may not necessarily be suppressed or, or you know, uh, twisted. But, you know, you decide to report something else which gives a totally different uh, impression all these television debates that happen in india which everyone watches we have we have a multitude of news channels i would say hundreds of news channels they've just you know there are regional channels all over there are you know channels in the national language which is hindi which is uh, you know and and a large number of channels in english and everyone is on tv saying something or the other and most of these people are politicians and uh, or there are people who believe in 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 one line of politics or the other so, so the general public in India, I would say, is either just does not believe or gets confused. So there is a huge challenge on governments and authority to actually make sure that relevant communication remains credible and people at least hear what they are supposed to hear and hear right and not just what the government or politicians want them to hear. Are, are the people listening though or are they have they turned off because they, they don't believe? Because as you say, they don't trust the source that they're hearing it from. So perhaps they're less engaged in those traditional media platforms and perhaps consuming much more content through Facebook, through Twitter, through WhatsApp and through um, those, those alternative platforms that they can now, you know, source the information that, that they do want to listen to. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I would believe that, you know, sometimes people do get turned off. But, you know, like, you know, I'm not sure I watch too many news channels. I, I still rely on my newspaper or credible news reports. If I have nothing else to do, then maybe I will I will uh, look at anything beyond the headlines on a news channel. But I think the same is happening to a lot of people. But, yes, they do listen. The other media are becoming more and more relevant. But it's not necessary that they, you know carry, again, uh, credibility because messages just get passed on. 
and as they keep getting passed on people start you know believing that and and a lot of time uh, social media platforms in india being the country that we are we are we are going through a phase of growth we we obviously are suffering the pains of growth you know we we are a large country so we have we have issues everywhere because of the of the disparities the economic disparities specifically you know there are there are people who, who you know have issues over religion there are people who have issues over you know uh, uh, we have insurgencies going on in india you know in the northeast in in kashmir we don't have friendly neighbors unfortunately so so we have one of those nations which you know uh, unlike australia which uh, doesn't have that problem because uh, you don't have neighbors you have the sea all around you yeah and and the united states which has only mexico and canada so we we have china and we have pakistan whom we can clearly you know call not friends and then and then we have bangladesh which again you know uh, could swing either way and then there is uh, you know nepal and sri lanka which are which are friendly still but by and large our, our major neighbors are not friendly so so we have uh, as a nation there are a lot of issues that we have to contend with and that's the reason why the challenge of communication for us is even greater the segments that you have to communicate with you know you want to make sure the message gets through to everyone you know the disparities both economic language cultural the divides and then the fact that you know we are a democracy it's not only the center's writ doesn't run everywhere we have state governments and there are many state governments who are satraps and then who say that we will do what we want to so it's a great country and and we are going through the learning curve yeah indeed now just a quick um, final question before i let you go you've been involved in various national committees in the area of education and skill development how well are the Indi- uh, the indian universities and and technical colleges preparing uh, the indian students to be effective communicators I, I really won't say I have enough knowledge to comment on that, uh, David. I mean, you know, I've, I've not gone into the details of university. My focus has primarily remained around school education. Uh-huh. And, and in most of these committees, we've been focusing on how, you know, we, we have a very, very large government schooling structure, right? We have, we have 1.4 million schools across India. That's government schools where children get free education, i mean access is there infrastructure is there one of the greatest challenges that we have in terms of government schools is the quality of the schooling and the perception of government schools and in all these committees we we actually look at how i mean i've been involved primarily in looking at quality of school school education improvement around that looking at improvement in the government schooling system right and skill development of youth right as far as communication is concerned i'm sure the universities would be doing good, good work because we have some world class universities i mean and and we have some excellent partnerships you know for example even the bharti foundation you know has has a school of public policy in what we call the indian school of business you know and and uh, our partner in the school of public policy is fletcher of tufts university so a lot of global universities have their presence in india through partnerships a lot of indian universities and technical institutes like the indian institute of technology the indian institutes of management 
are recognized globally as as you know uh, as as great institutions so so i would believe that surely you know uh, justice is being done there as far as you know uh, orienting uh, students to communication and its challenges is concerned i'm sure I'm sure there would be. So, Vijay Chatter, thank you very much for, for joining us this afternoon. I think it's a, a fasc- fascinating insight into a country that perhaps we don't pay enough attention to and we don't educate ourselves enough to understand the complexities and the challenges. You know, we, as you say, as you observed before, particularly here in Australia, you know, we are very, very fortunate. We don't have many of the day-to-day challenges that, that you do have, but it you seem, uh, like many Indian people I, I meet, to be have that wonderful optimism uh, about you and, and uh, a zest for life and obviously a great appreciation of, of the privilege that you've had and the contribution that you're continuing to make there to uh, the Indian community through the Bharti Foundation. So thank you very much for, for spending a bit of time with us this afternoon. I, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure being with you and... Let me wear my tourism hat now and say that <laughs> to all those who will be part of this program, come and visit India. Come and see India for yourself. No, I would. I, I promise I will. And when I do, I'll make sure I come and look you up as well. Because I, I will be a pleasure, David. Would love to, in touch. Would, would, would love to have dinner. So thank you very much to uh, Vijay Chatter for spending a bit of time with us this afternoon uh, discussing you know, the challenges. Can you just imagine when you sit back and think of your communication challenges, imagine sitting at the heart of the Indian government trying to deal with all of that. You know, I wish them you know, every, every best wish in the world because that sounds to me to be, you know, a vast challenge. But uh, as I say, the, the stoicism, um, the credibility, the integrity of people like Mr. Chatter making such a great contribution there. So uh, a great thanks to him today for spending us a little bit of time with us today. And to you, the listener, thank you very much uh, for tuning in again this week. And we'll be back at the same time next week with another fascinating guest from the world of government content communication. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.